available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. Lots to get to today on the show. We're going to focus our spring report on the University of Utah, the Utes. So we have Dan Sorensen on the line. We're going to talk with him. If you have any questions for us, best way to get a hold of us, you can email us, pac12podcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to text us or uh, send us a voicemail, you can do that too by calling or texting 424-532-0678. Of course, our Twitter account is at pac12podcast if you want to tweet with us throughout the week. And our website where you can find all of our episodes is pac12podcast.com. You can find everything up there, all of our contact information as well. And if you're on iTunes or any podcasting app, please subscribe. Give us a good rating, five-star review. All that stuff is great. And tell your friends. You got some friends that enjoy Pac-12 football. Let them know about our little show. We do appreciate it. We're doing shows every week throughout the offseason. We're getting towards the end, I think, of our spring reports. And we're excited to talk to Dan Sorensen today uh, about the Utah Utes. But let's let's welcome in Dan. Dan, how you doing, man? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Can't complain. Can't complain. How is it in? Uh, how how is sunny Utah these days? So, sunny Utah has not been so sunny the last few days, but uh, it, things are trending upward. So it's gonna it's going to be a very nice week to go cover spring practice. I think uh, we're gonna hit seventy degrees for the first time this year. The players are excited. The media is definitely excited. It should be a good thing. How long have you guys been in spring ball now? Because we've talked to some people who still haven't started, some people who are already done. We're looking at you, ASU. Uh, where's Utah now in its stretch of spring? So Utah is just starting its third week of spring practice. They actually started on on March 5th. Uh, then So they practiced for the week, and then they took a week off for spring break. They were back at it again last week with the pads coming on, and they're in the thick of it uh, beginning this week. They'll go all the way until mid-April. Uh, spring game is on April 13th, if I remember correctly. Nice. All right, so so people, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with Dan, it's Dan Sorensen. You can follow him on Twitter at D. Sorensen, S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N. He is the publisher for UteZone.com, which is our Utah site here on the 24-7 Sports Network. And Dan does a great job uh, covering the Utah Utes. I remember the You drop. remembered! <laughs> you remembered! Yes. Remember the drop. Uh, so we want, we're trying to you know get a little breakdown for every school. Sometimes we talk to them. During spring, after spring, before spring, whatever it is, but Utah, you know, like like uh, Dan said, they're already kind of uh, kind of rolling right here. Before we jump into like what spring football is, uh, Dan, what did you think about uh, Utah's recruiting class coming into the spring and and some of the pieces that uh, that Kyle Whittingham added uh, this offseason? 
I thought it was a good, not great class. It was a really strange class. You know, they, they of course, whiffed on a quarterback. Uh, uh, the, the, the quarterback that they had targeted uh, is now at Arizona State, which was a big loss for them because it went. he went to a, um, a in, in-conference and an in-division rival. But at the same time, you know, they were able to meet a lot of needs. They were able to land uh, Southern California running back four-star uh, Jordan Wilmore at the very end, which was a big win. They got four-star offensive, Juco offensive lineman Bamal Aseni, who is uh, one of their better recruits. And he's a guy that they think can step in and, and start right away. Uh, Sata Walaumea, the, uh, the four-star offensive lineman out of Southern California, they were able to close on him pretty late. Uh, and so, you know, they were able to... to to get a lot of pieces. They got some help from the transfer portal, which I think really improved their recruiting class. They got Manny Bowen, the, the graduate transfer from Penn State, the linebacker. He's a guy that was a part-time starter at Penn State with Utah losing a couple of linebackers to the NFL. He's a guy that should step in and start right away. He's looked really good so far this spring. And even though they missed out on their quarterback, they were still able to get a quarterback through the transfer portal and former four-star Texas signee Cameron Rising, who's also a Southern California guy. And so he's on campus now. Uh, he's competing. They're going to file for a waiver to see if they can uh, get him in the mix right away. But, you know, but overall, it was a, it was a good class. Um, it was ma- uh, I, I think that uh, it, 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 good depth, uh, good job filling their needs, uh, maybe a little top heavy. Some of the guys that are on the, the bottom rating of the class uh, maybe aren't uh, the the rating that some Utah fans would have wanted. But when you look at average star rating, I think it's still the best that Kyle Whittingham's ever done. And they seem to just incrementally just keep getting better and better every year. And, you know, as they're starting to find success with winning the Pac-12 South last year, you know, we expect that trend to continue moving on into the 2020 class. Um, what, moving on to another kind of changes in the offseason, um, Troy Taylor, uh, who'd been the offensive coordinator for, I think, two full years. Is that right? Am oh, I reading this correctly? Seasons. You were you were reading that correctly. A lot wow. Of seasons. Okay, so I mean, losing like that's a lot of continuity for Utah at the offensive coordinator spot. Um, he moved on to Sac State, um, and in his stead, it looks like Andy Ludwig, uh, formerly of Vanderbilt, um, the OC there, and then it was the OC at Wisconsin, San Diego State. Cal, Utah once before. I mean, he's been around, been an OC for basically forever. I mean, 97, it looks like, was his first year as an offensive coordinator, and he's been an offensive coordinator at various stops since then. Um, what has – so walk us through what that change was all about. Um, was that just Taylor finding a good opportunity? Was it mutual? Was it anything like that? And uh, what does Andy Ledwood bring to the table? Yeah, so Troy Taylor actually got hired on as the head coach at Sacramento State, so it was a move up to to a head coaching gig. He's also from the Sacramento area, so it was a chance to go home. Uh, The contract that he got uh, was guaranteed for several years. It was pretty unheard of for for an FCS-style contract that he got. So it it was pretty much a no-brainer for him to take that job. Um, So when Utah went out and looked for the, the... a new offensive coordinator. Of course, they, they were able to land Andy Ludwig. I think it was a really good hire. Andy has, of course, worked for Kyle Whittingham before. Um, as, as you know, you know, 
Whittingham tends to burn through offensive coordinators. Kyle's not the easiest coach to work for. He's very demanding. Um, he, he, he has a very high standard and he will hold you to that in no uncertain terms. And so, uh, uh, Andy Ludwig, he knows exactly what he's getting into. Uh, and, and really, I, I think that he brings to the table some things that will fit in really well with Utah. He, he was, he is far and away, uh, Whittingham's most successful offensive coordinator from a number standpoint. He was, of course, the coordinator when uh, they went to the Sugar Bowl in 08 and went undefeated, uh, finished number two in the nation in, in, in the polls. Uh, and he's, he's a guy that, you know, he did really – he did well at Vanderbilt. I think that he he outpunched his weight in terms of the talent and the defenses that he was going against. Um, and he's also a guy that had a lot of success at Wisconsin running the football, which is something that Whittingham wants to do. So, you know, when, when you look at this Utah team this year – with a Zach Moss coming back. He didn't enter for the NFL. He's coming back. He's got a chance to be uh, the number one back uh, statistically in the history of the program. And, you know, I, I have a feeling that it's going to be a lot more like the Wisconsin Andy Ludwig than maybe some of the other stops that he's had along the way. But I think that it's a good fit. He's going to have some key veterans in really key positions. And if they can get that offensive line shored up, it should be a pretty potent Utah offensive attack this year. Dad, you, you mentioned the offensive line. Uh, a couple of big losses, especially on the left side of the line. Uh, how is, uh, is Utah going to reload the offensive line this spring? What have they looked like so far? Yeah, they lose, of course, uh, two first-team All-Pac-12 linemen from last year. Uh, left tackle, Jackson Barton. Right guard, Jordan Angasiva. And then, of course, Lo Falamaka was a, a starter when he wasn't hurt, but he was an honorable mention all-conference selection the last couple of years. So they lost three really talented, really experienced offensive linemen. Um, the, and really, the, that's the, the biggest thing they're trying to figure out this spring. They've taken starting right tackle Darren Paula, who started at, at right tackle the last two seasons. They flipped him over to left tackle. There's a good chance that he stays there. He's certainly going to be there all spring um, we'll see what happens throughout the summer and the fall. But so, you know, he's a returning starter. They'll have him on the left side. Uh, Orlando Umana, who's, who finished the year last year as Utah starting center, he'll return there. Uh, they've got Nick Ford, who started uh, two or three games last year. He'll probably play right tackle for the Utes. And then they're going to they're looking for somebody to step up and, and, and really fill that hole. There's not a lot of, of experience on the squad right now in terms of guys snaps played in, in real games, which is a concern. There's some Juco guys that are coming in in the off season. Bamal Aseni, who I mentioned before a Juco all American guy, he's a six foot eight tackle. There's, there's a chance that they put him at right tackle and, and bump forward inside. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Utes were able to go out and get one or maybe even two graduate transfers on the offensive line. I know that uh, they, they've had a couple of guys in for visits. They've got a couple more scheduled and I'd, I'd be shocked if we didn't see that somebody, you know, coming in, that's got game experience that could step in and, and potentially start right away. If they're able to do that, they should be fine. It's going to take a few weeks in the fall camp to, to get some cohesiveness along that line and as you guys know especially if you're a run centric team it's really important uh, for that line to be able to gel to, to, to accomplish what you want and and that will be the, the, the number one order of business but really you know even when you look at what's going on in spring this year there's going to be a big incomplete because there's going to be so many bodies that are coming in in the summertime and in the fall 
that that we just don't know what they're going to look like this fall. But that's by, far and away the biggest question mark that we're seeing on the Utah offense right now. Uh, the man behind uh, that offensive line, uh, Tyler Huntley, um, he's had some issues staying healthy the last couple of years. Um, I think he finished. He ended up playing, I think, in nine games last year, and it was like nine or ten the previous year. Um, how have you seen any or have you heard anything about any kind of leap he's taken this offseason? Um, is is he ready for that kind of big um that big third year as the starter. Um, is there any push from like a Jason Shelley who actually closed out the year pretty strong um, to, I don't know, give him a little bit of competition this spring. Um, what's your sense of that and how Huntley especially is adapting to uh, Ludwig's offense. Yeah, really from what we've seen so far this spring, this is Tyler Huntley's team. You know, he's a senior, he's got some aspirations that he wants to play at the next level. He knows that the pressure's on. He's got to show that he can stay healthy, that he can direct the offense. And 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 this is going to be a Utah team that's going to have a lot of buzz behind them in terms of, you know, potentially winning the South for the second straight year, maybe even contending for a Pac-12 title. And and he's the guy that's really got to take this team on his shoulders if that's going to happen. And and he knows that. And so we, he's played well so far this spring. It's it's been a really workmanlike spring for him so far. You know, he's he's getting in, trying to learn the offense. I think the good sign for Utah fans is that he's noticeably bigger than he was a season ago. He's put on at least ten pounds of muscle, which is which is something that he needed to do. He's always been on the thin side. Um, you know, he's still got his speed. He's still able to create and and evade pass rushers. But you know, he, he's he's also he's got that lively arm. You know, when he got hurt last year against Arizona State, it was kind of a freak thing. He broke his collarbone on, on a on a pass rush. He was just trying to run away from the pass rush. They tackled him from behind, and he landed wrong on that shoulder. You know, just not something that you can really prepare for, but, um, you know, so it was bad luck, but he'd been playing really well. He had a four or five game stretch where he had really come into his own. He was executing the offense. Uh, he was doing well. So when he went down, you know, he'd been playing some of the best football that we've seen him play in a Utah uniform. And so the, the coaches are hopeful that he's going to be able to, to step up his, his leadership abilities and continue doing so and hopefully stay a little bit more healthy just because he's put on some added weight. Hey Dan, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, some big losses at linebacker and at uh, safety. Chase Hansen, probably the headliner of, of that group. But um, how's it, how's Utah going to replace some of the guys uh, missing from from the roster? Because in that back seven, it just seems like some really experienced and uh, high production players are not going to be there anymore. Yeah, they lost four starters from that back seven, which under most circumstances, you know, I'd be concerned if I were a Utah fan about that. But there are so many pieces in this defense. and It was a very good Utah defense last year, and they're coming back. You know, Utah's probably got the best defensive line in the Pac-12 right now. They've got a, a defensive tackle rotation that runs four, maybe five deep, uh, including Lecky Foto, who is first-team All-Pac-12. Um, John Penicini, I think, was all honorable mention. Um, last year, they've got the the Pac-12 sack leader from the last two years and Bradley Anai coming back. Uh, they've shored up things on the opposite side of Anai with Mika Tafu. He's had a really good spring. Um, and, and so that defensive line should be as stout as it ever was, uh, obviously losing out on, on Chase Hansen and, and Cody Barton, who really I think was the unsung hero of that Utah defense last year. He was so good uh, for, for a majority of the season. That's going to be a, a big question mark. Uh, they've, they've of course, um, 
got Manny Bowen, the transfer from Penn State, to step in. They think that he's going to be able to to step in and start. He's he's looked really good in the spring so far. You know, he's he's got explosiveness. He's got the athleticism that you want. It's about him learning the defense. And really, you know, he he had some problems at, at Penn State from a disciplinary standpoint, and he knows that he's got a year to keep his nose clean uh, under Kyle Whittingham. And he's really using this year as an audition for the NFL. He's got the the physical characteristics to be an NFL linebacker. He needs to show he can do it from a mental and a, and a, a character standpoint. So this is an opportunity for him. Um, on the other side of him, because uh, Utah generally runs that that nickel defense, you typically only see two linebackers in at once. Um, uh, Francis Bernard, he was a part-time starter last year. He stepped in for Chase Hansen at the end of the year when Hansen got hurt. Um, he's out for this spring, so we haven't seen him this spring, but he'll be back in the fall with a with, uh, after shoulder surgery, uh, he should be pretty good as well. He'll be a senior. He knows the defense. So we think the linebackers are going to be okay. They're not quite as deep as they've been. And so if somebody gets hurt or goes down, that could be problematic. Uh, the cornerbacks are going to be as good as ever. They, uh, Jalen Johnson is arguably the best cornerback in the Pac-12. And, uh, you know, he was a lockdown guy last year. Uh, he's going to be, you know, he's he's... He's looked amazingly well this year in spring. He's a guy that is is gunning for an early entry in the NFL draft, so he's hoping that this year's junior year will be his last at Utah, and he he wants to use a big year to springboard him there. And then at safety, um, they've actually had Julian Blackman, who played cornerback last year with second-team All-Pac-12. He's going to start at free safety. He's been fantastic all spring. I think it's going to be a seamless transition. And then they've got... um, uh, you know, they've got some other guys that are stepping up that, that have been in the program. So, so a little bit of an experience, but I think in the back end and the secondary, they should be pretty good. It's just about keeping those linebackers healthy and that that's going to be the key for this Utah defense. But there are enough pieces in this defense that it should be another really good unit for the Utes again this year. So when I was looking um, last year and, and Ryan will actually never let me forget this. Um, when I was looking at the schedule for Utah last year, um, it was just even even expecting that Utah would be its typically good team. I didn't see a whole lot of chance they were going to compete and and win the South. Uh, I, I actually think I picked them fifth. Is that right, Ryan? You you certainly did. I picked them fifth in a tie <laughs> in a tie with right. two other teams, but fifth nonetheless. Um, I don't see any any anything like that this year. Uh, they change out Oregon for Oregon state. They change out Stanford for Cal, um, which I think questionable. I mean, Cal might be a little bit better this year, but probably two beneficial things. And the non-conference slate has Northern Illinois coming to Utah instead of Utah traveling to Northern Illinois, Idaho state at home, uh, BYU on the road, but Utah's been kind of habitually beaten up on BYU of late. Um, what's the feeling around the program about this schedule? Because looking at it, it seems like it's setting up pretty well for a Utah repeat at the very least in the South, but this could also, I mean, set up for maybe one of the better Utah seasons in quite a long time. Yeah. When you talk to the Utah coaching staff, they're extremely optimistic about uh, their expectations in terms of of what they think they can be. Of course, there's some work that needs to be done. Um, That offensive line, like I said, is a huge concern. They've got to get that figured out if they want to accomplish their objectives. But, you know, like you said, you know, swapping out Oregon for Oregon State, swapping out Stanford for Cal uh, is, is is going to be helpful on the schedule. They've got to play Washington and they got to play them on the road. But that looks like that's the, the toughest 
uh, matchup against any of the North teams. They've still got Washington State, but, you know, with no Minshew, you know, we don't know what Washington State's going to look like either. So there's going to be some question marks around them. They've got and when you look at the roster, a senior quarterback, a senior running back that has a chance to break every rushing record at Utah, um, a good senior laden defense, the pieces are in place. They've got to stay healthy. They've got to do better at not turning the ball over than they did a season ago. And they've got to do better at forcing turnovers than they did a season ago. But if they're able to do that, this could be a really special year for Utah football. But, you know, when I say that, you know, keep in mind, yeah, there, there's, I use the word if a lot. And so, you know, I think that there's cautious optimism, especially in the fan base. Um, but it, it's, it's a team that the pieces are there. They just need to figure out how to, how to do it and, and how to take that next step from what they did a season ago. The uh, Utah special teams, usually, you know, one of the best, if not the best uh, in the conference, what, what's about, what's up with the uh, kicking game? for the spring and, and what you expect for the 2019 season, any turnover or what's going on there? Yeah. So, I mean, Utah had the, the best battery and, and maybe college football history last year. You know, they had the, 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 the Ray guy winner and, 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 or a, a way Ray guy winner and, and Mitch Wisnowski. And then of course the, um, uh, the Groza winner and, and Matt Gay on the same team, which is, is something that hadn't been done before. Uh, both of them graduated. Both of them are going to get their shot at the NFL. We'll see. You know, it's it's tricky with with specialists and, and getting those jobs in the NFL. So we'll see what happens to them. But in terms of backfilling at punter, Utah once again went to Australia. They got a guy named Ben Lennon. He's a, a former professional rugby player. Um, he's a little bit older guy, uh, but uh, he you know and a former professional athlete. He's another big guy like. Which Wisnowski was, you know, six two, six three, like two twenty. Uh, got a booming leg. Uh, he looks like he could be every bit as good as Wisnowski was. Of course, most of the time we've seen him kick so far this spring, it's been in helmet and shorts. So we don't know what what he's going to look like, you know, when 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 the lights are on and, and when, you know, he's got people, you know, running after him, trying to, to kill him. But, uh, but so far so good in terms of the punt game and, and Utah just has a knack of being able to find these guys, you know, both the last two punters they've had have both won Ray guy awards. So uh, I think that they've got a pretty good track record in, 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 a, in being able to find these guys place kicker is a, a much bigger concern. Um, Chayden Johnston, he's a junior is, is slated to take over for Matt Gay. He's had kind of a rough spring. He's, he's missed a lot of kicks this spring. And I, I think that they're going to bring in a couple of other guys to compete with him, uh, to see where, uh, or at least, at least push him. Um, you know, the last couple of years with gay, he's been so good and it's been almost an automatic thing. Anything from 55 yards in is, has, has been pretty confident. You know, Whittingham has been confident that they were going to get those points on the board. Um, I don't see that happening this year. And so this offense is going to have to score touchdowns and not rely on field goals like they've done in the past. Uh, unless Johnston can step up and, and show that he's got what it takes to, to take over for, from gay. So place kicker is definitely concerned. Puncher looks good so far, but, uh, you know, overall, you know, Utah's always pretty good at special teams. I think they'll figure it out. Uh, if they don't, you know, it'll be a surprise. Um, one of the other big notes from this offseason was Kyle Whittingham uh, lock, getting locked in for uh, another. I think it's an extension that extends his contract by three years till 2023. Um, 
you know, he's been, uh, his name has been, I know, kicked around a little bit by various coaching searches. I know UCLA's, he was definitely on the, the kick around list, um, before they landed on Chip Kelly. Um, does, do you think this locks him and Utah to kind of together until, you know, do you see any scenario where he actually ends up leaving this program at any point? It's pretty unlikely at this point. I think, you know, he's, uh, he's 60. I think, uh, you know, he, he's, he's long said that he doesn't want to be like his college coach, Lavelle Edwards, who of course coached forever at BYU, uh, well into his seventies. Um, or at least it felt that way. Um, but, uh, but, but, but he says that he doesn't want to be like that, that he's going to want to retire before then. Of course, you know, he's a football junkie and so we'll see, whether he holds that up, uh, but you know, he, he's got, he's got some family playing for the team. He's got a nephew that's on the defensive line. That's going to be there for a few more years. So I, I would expect him to, you know, unless something really strange happens, I would expect him to be around for at least another three or four years uh, until that, uh, until uh, he graduates. And, and then, and then we'll see, um, you know, he's, he's, he, he's, he's, made a lot of money in his years and and you know he's starting to have grandkids and and, and, he, and he likes that role of grandpa uh, maybe as much as he likes the role as uh, as coach so you know we'll, we'll see how much of the bug he still has and how much energy he has i think and i think a lot of it's going to have to do with you know just how the team does uh, over the next couple of years as well but um I think he's a ute for, for, for the long haul. Eventually they're probably, you know, he, he's, he's got a couple of years before he's going to break the all time wins record at Utah. And eventually they're going to build a statue of him out in front of the stadium. That's at least what I think. And Dan, last thing for me, um, you know, as Dave mentioned, he picked Utah to finish fifth last year. I don't know if you know, I picked, I, I picked Utah to win the South and they've never done it before. So, you know, I, I'm pretty good at the, the media day predictions for whatever reason, but, did that change the mentality at all? Because it was just one of those things where, you know, Colorado had won it a couple of years ago. Utah's always been close, finishing second a lot, but never getting over the top. Now that they've actually won the South, has it changed like kind of the, the mentality, I guess, around the program knowing, hey, we can do this now. Next goal is win the whole thing. You know, I think it has. And especially because of the way that they did it, you know, Tyler Huntley went down with what three games to play and they had, they had Oregon the next week at home and it, it was no sure thing that they were going to be able to close it out. They had to go undefeated through the rest of the conference schedule. Jason Shelley stepped in after, you know, not playing hardly at all his entire career stepped in. And then of course they lost Zach Moss at the same time. So, you know, they, they had uh, backups at quarterback backups at running back um, th th their best wide receiver was really banged up and they still got it done. And I, I think that, you know, just the fact that they were able to do it, they were able to, to have that next man up mentality, which is kind of the mantra of the program when people get hurt, uh, that they were able to finally get over that hump after they'd been so close for so long. Um, you know, I, I think it did kind of change the mentality and it's and you've seen it a little bit this spring where they know that nothing's given to them. They know that they're going to have to, 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 to fight and claw their way for every single thing that they're going to get. And they also know that there's a lot of, you know, rising programs, especially in the South, you know, uh, Arizona state, they're not going to go away. UCLA is, is up and coming. They're not going to go away. Uh, you know, one would think that USC is going to be, you know, mad as hell and they're going to come back and, and try to do something. And, and so, you know, Utah can't take, for granted that, you know, even if people think that they're the favorites, they can't take for granted that they're going to go out and get it. So it's been very businesslike. 
uh, very workmanlike uh, all spring long. And, and you know, the, the, the entire theme, you know, anytime you talk to anybody in the program, they've said, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. You know, we want to win the Pac-12 and, and you know, we haven't done it yet. And, and we've got to go to work you know, if we want to accomplish that. So, but I do think that there's a confidence we haven't seen before. And, and it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to pull it off. Well, very cool. Good stuff from Dan. Um, I'm done. Ryan, you got anything else? No, that's good. We, uh, you know, curious to see what the Utes end up doing. Always a well-coached team. Uh, you know, you get some really good line play. If they get the offense flowing and maybe keep some guys healthy, who knows? It could be the breakthrough team. Everyone's talking about the North, but the, uh, Utah's that team that looks like they could be that, that next one in the South. So we'll see how they do. All right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. All right. You can follow Dan at D Sorensen on Twitter. Thanks. All right. Well, that was great stuff from Dan. Got to talk some uh, Utah football. Before we jump into some other topics and the questions, I want to tell you guys about Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free, while other brokers charge up to $10 for every trade. Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started. So you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular with Robinhood. You can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right amount you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving our listeners here at the Podcast of Champions a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your for- portfolio. Sign up at champions.robinhood.com. That's champions.robinhood.com. Brilliant read, Ryan. Hey, brilliant. Better than last week, I think. That I was I was a little it was a little under the weather last week. We're feeling we're doing all right now. Um, there's been some news though, David, in the uh, Pac-12 space. A lot of it having to do with the truth is we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I still got to edit that uh, uh, or laughing. Um, but I guess our buddy John Wilner kind of started this off, uh, and he addressed this. I think it was in his his newsletter. That uh, Larry Scott and company, they're seeking a $750 million cash infusion uh, through the plan to sell an equity stake in the conference media rights. Um, so I, what did you think about all that when that was coming down? Because we had heard 10% for $50 million. Now we're hearing they want $750 million, but it's an unknown stake, uh, you know, be 25 years and things like that. I, I'm curious to see what you thought about all that, Dave. I mean, I think it's the same crazy thing that we were talking about last time. I mean, I don't think it'll, I don't think it solves anything long term. Um, I think it's a short term thing that gives him something that he can claim as a win, but I just don't see how it meaningfully changes anything. You know, talking to Wilner about it a while back, um, it it really doesn't it doesn't change the whole dynamics of the league or or what the future of the league is. I mean, it's the basically the same deal it's been so. I, 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 the number changes by 250 million, but I don't know that, that substantively changes, especially over the lifetime of whatever it was, 25 years. I don't know how much that is actually going to change really anything with the reality of the league right now. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It just seems like you, you're touting 
you know, 100% ownership. And it, it just seems like they're putting so much into someone's going to spend a whole lot of money on this network when the media rights come up. And I, I just don't see how you're going to make any kind of uh, return on that $750 million, 25-year uh, commitment and, and what kind of stake you'd have to give up in the conference. And, you know, that just is, it's kind of a band-aid where you get, you make up some of the money that the, the shortfall between other uh, conferences in this one, but now you're, you don't even own your whole, you know, the whole network anymore, which was one of the big things that they were touting. Yeah. It just seems like it's very, I don't know. I mean, it just seems like it's very much going against the in, the entire point of what they were trying to do from the beginning um, and for not enough gain. You know, it's one thing if you're giving up ownership to have a long-standing agreement with some TV network that's going to finally get you something on par with um, with the other leagues. But if you're just giving up ownership for a cash infusion, it just doesn't seem like that's... Uh, it, it doesn't seem like that's keeping it all with the strategy they've been going for um i think at any point where they get some major cash infusion like that and if it does happen that should be the same day that larry scott is fired as the commissioner because that's an indictment of his entire strategy like i don't think you can point to this and say it was ever part of the grand strategy for him with a vision he sold um the the university presidents on um so if 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 that doesn't work out okay well you're out and this can be part of a new pivot um, get the cash infusion to then do something else and, and figure out some other avenue. But I don't think you let him stay in charge if this is the desperate measure they're forced to. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of the Pac-12 fans would agree with you, Dave. Um, and then the, the other story, and this was so first reported by the Sports Business Journal. Um, it's behind a paywall, so I didn't really get to read the whole thing. Awful Announcing actually had a, a, a kind of a blip on this too. But basically what they were reporting was that the Pac-12 – and Larry Scott, they turned down an offer from ESPN to distribute their networks in exchange for an extension of their rights agreement that would have given ESPN the Pac-12 rights. Uh, and the awful announcing uh, story says well into the 2030s. So it would have been significant. Um, so what what they're saying was it looked like a, a lifeline to bail out the Pac-12 because the network is struggling. But the Pac-12 is again betting on itself, hoping that when the next round of you know rights deals comes up, uh, you know within the next five years, there's going to be a, some sort of bidding war uh, on the Pac-12. So uh, they said the Pac-12 is getting three billion dollars over 12 years from ESPN and Fox. So it's definitely one of the bigger revenue generators. Extending ESPN, um, it would have removed a lot of the uncertainty around the Pac-12 networks and their distribution. But like like we said. Larry Scott, they're kind of betting on their own, you know, their own hand again, as opposed to letting someone else that does this and does it well, and frankly, much more efficiently handle it. So I don't know what you thought about that when that broke too, Dave. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the exact particulars, which I don't think were fully pushed out. I mean, if it was a bad deal, it's a bad deal. And I don't think you just, you take just anything at this point, though, like, you do take like most things at this point, but maybe not any deal that's proposed. Um, but again, it's the same deal as the $750 million. This represents a major pivot from the strategy he's sold everyone on. Yeah. So if they take this deal, also, he should be fired immediately. Um, and that doesn't mean that this is necessarily a bad thing to take. It just It's it's the opposite of what his vision was. Um, so I, 
I would obviously prefer it. Um, I don't think anybody is 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 loving the Pac-12 Network's current distribution model um, from a consuming standpoint. But if the dollars and cents didn't really make sense, I mean, I can't you can't knock it until you see what was like the actual proposal because we know the date and time, but do we know the money that was offered? I don't think that was in the story, or at least not the synopsis and awful announcing. Yeah, no, I didn't see that in the in the synopsis there uh, either. Um, I mean, they 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 summarized that it probably if you could you know sell your own rights five years from now and there's a bidding war, you you probably would leave some money on the table. But if you sign with ESPN, you're instant. You're going to be on pack, You're going to be on Directv. Distribution is going to instantly be better. So there was some sort of a trade-off there, uh, you know. And, and Larry Scott and Pac-12 right now are, are not going to gamble on that. No, and um, you know, I, I think maybe it, it sounds like they're they might be prioritizing the cash infusion because it gives them. I don't know, maybe in the eyes of some people that that can be in keeping with their strategy, um, but I. I, I think either either one represents a pivot away from what they've been trying to do, which is maintain basically sole ownership until the next major rights agreement, correct? I mean, that's the gist that we've gotten from uh, everyone we've talked to. So I don't – neither of these seem in keeping with the strategy. So I think if either of them go forward, that, that the conclusion should be that Larry Scott needs to go. And actually, at this point, Larry Scott just needs to go. Um, yeah. If these things are even being talked about as – potential uh strategies for them um because they are in such desperate um straits at this point yeah i I don't know do you think it's funny if you follow john wilner he talks a little bit about uh the money that the units that you get for the this is basketball sorry uh you know the the ncaa tournament and you're getting this much money down the road so having oregon make it to the sweet 16 actually makes all the schools a little bit more money but then you look at what the other conferences are making the pack is still behind but it's it's better than last year i guess right yeah so yeah not too bad so i don't know maybe that's something that layer scott can hang his hat on like hey we didn't stink as as in as badly in the tournament this year as we did the prior years yeah and i mean it's all a crapshoot but yeah why not point to that what the hell use <laughs> use some of that weird recency bias small sample size stuff in your favor why not <laughs> nice uh any other uh Pac-12 topics we need to discuss, David, before we... No, Ryan, I want to talk about sex. You want to talk about sex? Let's talk about sex. All right. Guys, guys, let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue, chew.com. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. You know, Ryan, when I tried Blue Chew, I really noticed something extra. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. Certainly not in this ad read. 
They've, they're made in the USA, <laughs> and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code CHAMPS. That's C-H-A-M-P-S. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, promo code CHAMPS, to try it free. Blue Chew, Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. We certainly do, and that's a wonderful read by you, Dave, a new sponsor for the podcast, Blue Chew. Great, great job there. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate you. We're talking about good sex here on the podcast. So people didn't want us to talk about fancy Disney princesses. So we're, we're shifting gears, this podcast. <laughs> we, 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 are, we, are, we are shifting. We are, uh, we are aging up the podcast. <laughs> nice. Um, well, should we jump into our, our, our mailbag? Lots of questions. Yeah, I think we should. I think we should jump into that uh, right now. Uh, so we have, this is from Nicholas. Man, this is uh, pretty long. It is Pac-12 roster strength question. Um, this looks like a blog post to me, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> hey, right. I mean, it, it does look like, it, it's like, it would be like one of Andrew's like series of 16 tweets. Like it, this would probably be about 20 tweets he's got worth in there. He said, please excuse the long and rambling email, but I wanted to respond to your question. You answered during the last Washington episode related to belief to the, the belief that USC has the most talent in the Pac-12 or whether Washington has surpassed the Trojans. For some quick uh, background on me, my name is Nicholas uh, Ian Allen. I am an Athlon sports contributor and a former assistant high school football coach in Georgia. I'm also the managing editor of an independent college football an uh, analytics outlet called CFB Winning Edge. I've heard of those guys. I'm a yep. relatively new listener. Well, thanks for being one. Uh, and he says, I've been listening on a semi-regular basis. Uh, late in the 2018 season, in my attempt to overcome my East Coast bias, I am an Atlanta native currently living in New Hampshire. Wow. He's all over the place. Dave's in Atlanta. so. Uh, but I've been a 24-7 sports subscriber for years, and I love the show and appreciate the level of detail you offer, even when things stray <laughs> off topic, which is very often. Uh, and, and He didn't say that. That was me. Uh, in answering the, quote, most talented question, Ryan, you mentioned the 24-7 talent composite which is a great tool, but it isn't yet available for the 2019 season. I started CFB Winning Edge last year, and as part of my updates for the upcoming season, I kept a, ru a running tally on each team's average 24-7 sports composite rankings, as well as a more in-depth tool I call Roster Strength. I don't want to go too heavy into the boring details, but uh, do want to explain a little how these numbers were developed. To determine each team's roster strength rating, I take 24-7 talent projection for each player and adjust it for experience and add points for on-field production. Holy cow, this is in-depth. Uh, then I weight each position slash unit, quarterback, running back, offensive line, etc., so that projected starters count most, followed by two deep players, and finally others listed on the roster with walk-ons that have not played uh, excluded from the mix. Our man, our man, our man, Andrew, just listened to you read that paragraph, <laughs> and he feels like he just chewed up some blue chew. <laughs> Andrew is, is he, he? Maybe these guys are related. Do you think Andrew and Nicholas? Yeah, maybe, are, maybe they're, they're both. They're both. They're both really <laughs> excited about the numbers here. Actually, it says Nicholas, but the the email says Andrew at Washington. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Uh, okay, so according to my numbers, here are the current 24-7 sports composite averages for each Pac-12 school, as well as the current college football winning edge roster strength ratings. These figures include transfers and other roster moves as of March 18th. Wow, so he's up to date. Okay. 
So most talented, this is by the average 24 sports composite. It's still USC, uh, 0.8947. Close behind is Washington, then Oregon, Stanford, ASU, UCLA, Colorado, Utah, Cal, Washington State, Arizona, and then Oregon State. So there's 0.07 or so, 0.065 between number one and number 12. Uh, So that's kind of the range. It's 0.0895 to 0.0, I'm sorry, 0.82. So the ones up the top are pretty close. Uh, I guess from six to seven, there's a bigger drop. UCLA six point eight five five, and then Colorado seven point eight three five. So there's a, a kind of a drop between the top half and the second half. Hopefully, uh, Nicholas, I'm describing that correctly. It really then, translated well, I think, from the written word to your description of it verbally. I think it was great. Is it, I'm trying. You know, there's a lot. I know uh, it here. was beautiful. It was beautiful. <laughs> I don't. I don't think anyone glazed over at all. Uh, I, <laughs> And it's not like I read this and studied it before. I'm just kind of doing this on the fly. Okay, <laughs> no, it's great. Strongest it's great roster. So this is <laughs> strongest roster according to CFB winning edge team strength ratings. They still have USC. So 88.89 right behind it, Oregon. Wow, Washington's fourth. Oregon, 88.76. Then Utah in the 87s. Washington, 87s. Uh, Stanford, 86. Arizona State, 86. Colorado, 85. UCLA, 85. Arizona, 84. Oregon State is 10th, uh, 83. Washington State is 11th, 82.9, close to 83. And then Cal is last at uh, 82.44. So that's a little bit different. He said, I won't claim roster strength is a perfect metric by any means, but I am confident it gives good insight into which areas of a particular team are the most and least talented, experienced, and productive. Nevertheless, I was highly surprised Washington ranked number four in roster strength if I were to make this uh, list based on opinion, I'd probably put Washington as a close number two to USC. But even though Washington sits fourth, it's important to note the difference between the Huskies and Utah, who is surprisingly high, uh, highly ranked, given the most modest recruiting average, is a razor-thin 0.7-point margin, and we should view the two as a virtual tie. When diving deeper, Washington has a couple of question marks on defense. Specifically, the Washington defensive line weighted unit ranking is 2.19 points below the Pac-12 average and just 0.73 points above the FBS average. The linebacker core, though experienced, is roughly league average. The secondary includes at least two all-conference-level players but lacks both experience beyond those two and overall depth. Again, it's not perfect, but roster strength attempts to remove opinion out of the equation as much as possible. Based on the recruiting rankings and when adjusting for experience and production, Washington hasn't caught up to USC just yet. Woo! You might read that All one right. more time. Are we good? We, <sighs> yeah. Do you want to you want to see if we can do it right this time? <laughs> I think once for all pretty, the marbles. Was that not you pretty, did? Uh, you did amazing work. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> I was like, I didn't think it was that bad. I um, have no additional commentary. That was great stuff, uh, Nick Nicholas. Um, really, really good stuff. Um, I'm gonna. He also sent us a link to. Um, the profiles themselves, which we're going to check out. Um, but uh, I will definitely look deeper into this. Um, and I'm sure um, our friend Andrew will seek you out on Twitter and uh, and send you a bunch of eye charts of his own for you to look at. Um, <laughs> yeah, Andrew, Andrew, definitely start tweeting some of those at Nicholas. I think he, he yeah. wants to be tweeted. Nicholas, Nicholas, I think, is your target audience here. Yeah. Um, but really good stuff. Love that. Um, and so it, it, it disproves my theory then that Washington has caught up. Um, but I, they are close. 
It's. I mean, I don't know. I think it's close, but it's. You know, we'll see. Um, you know, just those metrics and stuff, and uh, I think we'll know more when some of the guys get to campus in the fall, and we you know get a look at these teams, and we'll see. We'll see how they do. Yeah. All right. And now we're on to a text message. This is go UCLA 05 again. Just got around to listening to the UCLA and USC preview episode. If you two were still wondering about self-flagellation, <clears throat> in light of the Blue Chew ad read, <laughs> I, I don't think anybody's still wondering about self-flagellation. But he says, if you two were still run, wondering about self-flagellation, go watch The Da Vinci Code, the scene where the albino monk played by Paul Bettany, he spells it Bethany, but it's Bettany, uh, whips himself. This is self-flagellation. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Yeah. Well, it's that's that's a thing that happens. Oh, okay. yeah. Uh, should we go to conference expansion? Yeah. This is, please. This let's is, do. This is Bob. Hi, y'all. This is Bob from Anchorage. I didn't know they did y'all in Anchorage. That's pretty cool. They can do y'all wherever they want. You can. And, it's you know, maybe Bob was from the South or... Yeah, you don't know. Dated someone from the South, and you get, you know, married someone from the South. Who knows? I did. I don't say y'all, but I did marry someone from the South. I live in uh, the South, and I don't say y'all. That's true. Uh, People look at me funny when I when I say you guys and when I um, when I put articles in front of freeways. That's what I do. <laughs> so I was having a discussion with some coworkers, and I was wondering which conference is most likely to expand in the future, and if so, who will they aim for? Also, since this is a podcast about the Pac-12, I was wondering who Larry Scott has scouted as potential raid targets whenever conference expansion begins again. Sincerely, Bob. P.S. Keep up the great work. I always look forward to listening to this podcast on Tuesdays. Well, thank you, Bob. Okay, so which conferences are most likely to expand? Um, I would say the ones that have the densest, um, you know, uh, top schools um, that could... I mean, the ones that make the most sense are ones that are located in the South and in the Southwest, like Texas area, like Houston getting into the Big 12 or the SEC or something like that at some point makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Um, the thing is, I don't know if there's as many logical options out West for like a Pac-12 school. Like, I think if the Pac-12 is going to do it, it's going to have to either really drop down um, and not prioritize a lot of the stuff it's prioritized with expansions in the past, like being a major research university, um, having, you know, all of the Olympic sports in addition to the major revenue sports. Um, it might have to drop that if it's trying to expand locally. And if not, it's going to have to expand its geographic footprint quite a bit if it wants to expand because um, it, it'll either require poaching um you know, members of the Big 12 at some point, um, you know, and even that's going to require an expansion, uh, geographic expansion, or, you know, grabbing like a Houston or something like that. Um, but either way, that's, you know, that's that would be a big, that would be a big change for the Pac-12. I don't know else who's likely. What other conferences do you think are likely at this point? I mean, I think the Big 12 could add Houston tomorrow with no real adjustment to what they're doing. But I don't know what who else would be likely to add somebody right now. Yeah, I don't think I think Houston and the Big Twelve could happen. Um, you know, I think the Big Twelve has some chances to do that. I it, I don't see Dave. I'm not seeing a lot of like poaching and stuff going on unless it's sort of like a a sinking ship. So like if one of the conferences starts to go under, or it's a big, uh, which I don't see happening, or it's one of those let's make 16 four 16 super conferences and sort of like 
divvy up the Big 12 or something and, and you know, and, and do it that way, where it's like a big deal. Like, we're going to take 64 teams, we're going to break away from the NCAA and have our own football conference or something. Like, something big like that, I think you could see. But right now, I don't think, you know, Larry Scott's, first of all, I think he's trying to save his own bacon. I don't think he's looking to expand right now. Uh, I don't think he's trying to complicate things. And I don't feel it's going to be something like, well, look at BYU or Fresno State or San Diego State. I just don't think that's in the cards. It's not going to help. They need to make money. And I don't think adding anyone like that outside of, unless it was like Texas, Oklahoma, uh, I don't think you're going to be making any more money. So I don't see the Pac-12 really looking at it, Bob. Um, and I, I really don't see it this changing much on a national level unless it's like that big next step where you're going for the, the, the four 16 super conferences or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. It's just my guess. All right. Yeah. You ready for Chris from Seoul? Yeah. All right. Get serious about improving Pac-12 football. This year's off-season podcasts have been great, but for the princesses thing. Well... <laughs> We can't help it. Those are your questions, uh, guys. Like you're asking. Not, we're, we're I mean, <laughs> we can, we're just we're just your instruments. You you can play us however you want. Um, the previews are a good listen, and the Pixar movie email was five stars. Plus, frequent listeners always enjoy a submission from Hipploday, Hipploday, uh, as well. My question: If the Pac-12 were to quit whining, vainly hoping for the demise of Larry Scott, and get serious about improving the football program product getting great head coaches throughout the conference would be a big help using ucla's swing for the fences with chip kelly as a guidepost which pac-12 teams need to upgrade at head coach oh oh boy okay let's let me just pull up should we uh, pac-12 football coaches right now just so we don't forget anybody all right david shaw does stanford need to upgrade i'd no, say no no kyle weddingham i'd say no no chip kelly no, that was the example no. yeah. he gave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 know, I know. I was being funny. Oh. Uh, Justin Wilcox. I mean, I don't think so. I think you give him a chance. I think you know, it was a risk when you hire him, but he brought in experienced staff. Uh, I don't think you just instantly upgrade him right now uh, that they played really well on defense. But you know, maybe next time through, you want to hire someone that's had experience before. But I think you, it's worked out okay so far. All right. Herm Edwards. See, that's you just did this, and this is what you thought of, you know. Um, and he's performed better than anyone really expected him to. So I don't think you want to. I don't think you'd want to go in there and replace Herm Edwards today either. Kevin Sumlin, again, Texas A and M coach. You know, like you just hired a guy from Texas A and M. So at Arizona, like, are you going to get someone better than that? I, I that seems like a pretty good hire to me. I mean, we'll see how it works out, but. I think on paper, I don't think you're you're looking for something better than that. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree with all of your assessments there. All right, so Mike Leach? Nope. No. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe he'll end up being the best coach they've ever had. Um, uh, Chris Peterson? Probably not. I think he's pretty good. <laughs> he seems okay. <laughs> uh, Mario Cristobal? Okay, so I think under the circumstances where you went out and – you got a guy that left after a year. Um, I think it was a pretty good, you know, replacement hire. And it, you know, the, what what you're seeing down at Florida State, maybe you're actually got the better of the two coaches. I'm not. It's hard to say. Yeah. But because that just happened, Dave, I don't. I don't think you'd go out there and say we've got to replace Cristobal. I mean, a lot of people, they're the up and coming team this year. We'll see if they can live up to the hype. But yeah, I I, I wouldn't say. I won't say. I would say in an ideal world, yeah, you'd have an upgrade there. Um, 
I, I think Cristobal is obviously a great recruiting head coach, but I think Oregon has upped its profile. Um, and probably with the money they're able to offer with all the Nike crap going on, you would think that they could get somebody who's in that, I don't know, clear tier one, tier two standpoint. Um, and Cristobal is, I mean, he's he was prior to this, he had one kind of not great run at FIU and that's pretty much all to his record. So um, he's still uncertain. Maybe he turns out really, really good there. I don't know. Um, he's certainly recruiting very well, but I think you could upgrade that. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. And I, you could, I guess you could make the same argument for Justin Wilcox. I'm sort of like in the situation there are right now, would I rather see them kind of play it out the next couple of years or in an ideal world? Yeah. If you could get a Chip Kelly or something, bring him in right now, or someone like that at Cal or Oregon probably should, you know, I guess, but I, I kind of don't mind the situation they're in. I, I guess that's the way I was looking at it. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. And then Jonathan Smith. I mean, he's a, He's a beaver. Yeah, he's, upgrade him. Upgrade him. Just do it. You could upgrade yep. him, but like, what, like can, can you bring in someone better? Do the dumb, do the damn thing we were talking about all last off season. Don't bring in some guy who's going to run some like pro style offense. Go that's bring in true. somebody who's going to do something unique. I, do the same thing you were supposed to do last off season. Just do it now. That's fair. Okay, I like it. Um, and then uh, Clayton, Clayton Helton. Yeah, is that even his name? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's just Clay. It's like something Clay Helton. I should probably know this, but I don't. Um, Here, he's gone. I'm going to Google it because we should really we should really know the man's name if we're calling for his firing. Charles. He's oh yeah, that's right. He's a Charles, and so's Chip. Yeah, they're both. Yeah. Uh, no, he yes. USC should have upgraded that last year. So yes. several <laughs> several times over the last four years. <laughs> um, he yeah, should have been, obviously. He should have been hired to begin with, and he did some good things. You know, won a Rose Bowl, won the Pac-12, but uh, that's the, the resume he had didn't match the kind of uh, program he was taking over. So that yeah. that completely makes sense. And Mel Tucker hasn't done anything yet, so I'm not. Gonna it's really say hard to that. say. Yeah, you know, like I, I probably I like, not. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Nice. I think that's everybody. That's all. Uh, that's all we got from Chris and Soul. Oh, uh, sorry. Also, your thoughts on who the home run hire? Oh, God. We should have done this while we were doing it. Uh, yeah. This is why we should read all of the email before we start answering the question. But sometimes it doesn't work out for us. Right. All right. Anyway. Yeah. Also, your thoughts on who the home run hire should be for each school that needs an upgrade. Okay. So that's only like three total schools. Yeah. So um, assume the schools go all and tap donors hard to scrape up the coins. All right. So USC, who's the home run hire? Urban. Urban Meyer. You got to go there. Okay. Um, um, Oregon. Oregon. Who's the dream hire? Oh, let's see. Who makes the most sense? Who's like the best, like Chip, up and coming coach? Chip Kelly, get him back. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Like, who are best college? Fo- who are we thinking of? All right, so what? What? What teams have been good? Who are not like? Obviously, they're not going to pull like a Saban, a Meyer, a right. Swinney, like Jeff Brom or someone. I think that'd be. I think like a Jeff Brom, right? You like that? I think that's like the. I think that's maybe the speed there. Okay. And you take a flyer on guys like I don't know Malzahn, right? Because yeah. he's like perpetually having trouble with Auburn fans being psychotic. Um, yeah, I, I think you would you would kind of swing for those types of fences. I think Brom would be a really really good pick, um, and he's a guy who I think. 
you know, he already turned down Louisville, which was his perceived dream job. So if you can get him and get him in that conference, I don't think he's going to be jumping for anything in the foreseeable future. Um, so, yeah, let's go Jeff Brom there. Okay. Um, um, are, we, are we saying Cal upgrade or no? You want to do upgrade for Cal? Yeah. I mean, you could go like Jeff Tedford, right? He could come back. I mean, he's, <laughs> right? No, I mean, like, I'm not joking. No, I mean, like, yeah, you could. You could. See if he wants another go round. Uh, yeah, why not? Hell yeah. I don't know. But Let's who, get the Tedford after. And then Oregon there. State is Ken Nayomatololo. Same thing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, Oregon, that's a problem with Oregon State. Like, it's tough because who's, you know, who can you realistically bring in there? So you were saying bring someone in that has a whole different kind of offense. Like, are you thinking like like air raid, like Mike Leach sort of offense or like no, no, triple no. Ken, option? Ken, like, Ken Nayumatololo, bring in a triple option guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, do it. That's realistic. All right. Cool. Oh, yeah. Is that it? All right. Um, yeah, that's it for Chris. Nice. Uh, thanks for that one. This one's from Bernie uh, for Dave. So he just has questions. For Dave, I read that Chip Kelly was very competitive. If so, do you think he is personally bothered when other schools out-recruit him? Um... I, I mean, yeah, I think all these guys are competitors, and I think they do, you know, depending on how much they prioritize it, I think they do take it, you know, a little bit um, as an annoyance if they get out-recruited for a guy, um, if they're honest enough to admit that. Um, a lot of these guys have diluted senses of whether or not they're actually being out-recruited or if it's something else that was going on, you know. The number of times, and this isn't a reference to Chip, this is actually a reference to many past coaches, the number of times I've heard... Uh, oh no, that, that school cheated to get him or uh, like from an assistant coach or from even a head coach, like that's just sour grapes. They, they recruited harder than you did and they did better things. And frankly, everyone's cheating. So stop saying stuff like that. Um, and I, I think, uh, some coaches can be deluded and not necessarily think that they, uh, did a poor job recruiting. Um, I think from a, from a result standpoint, I think he, has already made significant changes to their recruiting process. Um, he changed out the entire recruiting staff. So I think at the end of the day, obviously the results weren't good enough for him. Um, and so he made a lot of changes with that. So I think that speaks to, I mean, whether you want to call it a sense of competitiveness or a sense of, well, hell, if I'm going to be successful here, I'm going to need to recruit players. So we better get on this. <laughs> um, whatever you want to call it, um, he, he's made those changes. So, I don't care if anybody's personally bothered by anything. A lot of people get personally bothered by things and then still suck. Um, it's more just, are you going to be, are, are you going to do a better job? Are you going to have a better process? And are you going to make a better strategy? And it looks right now, and this is again, only a month and a half after the last signing day, only a month and a half really into this recruiting cycle. It seems they've made some positive changes, but we'll see if those carry forward for another two months, another three months, another eight months. Um, and then, if UCLA is in a much better position come February next year. All right. And then he said for Ryan, most coaches believe football games are one in the trenches. USC seems to be doing well in recruiting skill position players, but not so well with linemen. Why? Um, yeah, no, I think that's been a concern of a lot of USC fans that, you know, there's, it's easier to recruit the skill players because that's what's around USC more. I think you have to, find guys that can develop uh, sometimes on the offensive line or defensive lines because they're, they're not as many uh, the highly rated prospects that are coming out of high school that look like 
they could be juniors in college, like you get uh, in the SEC country and stuff. So I think that's part of it. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes just the focus, they, they kind of focus on the shiny new things that they like. And uh, you want to get the next to Dory Jackson or something. And you're not necessarily looking for the next Tyron Smith. You'd like them, but it's it's more fun to recruit the, those skill position guys. But that's just something the USC's done really well at. Uh, I think they need to I, – I, I agree with you, Bernie. I think they need to do a better job of that. Uh, it's hard to say why, but uh, being the proximity, you know, you're, you're in – the low hanging fruit around you is what they've recruited really well. And it's not necessarily been linemen that's been really easy to recruit. So that could be part of it too. Yeah. He said, uh, in closing, is there any chance you can stop with the Disney references? I mean, really? So, okay. So we did the Disney reference two weeks ago. We had a resurgence of a whole bunch more Disney references the following week. And this week we're the Disney pushback. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, it's really interesting to see the different flows of conversation surrounding our Disney princess topic. I really think it's an interesting insight into our listener group. It seems to me, and this is just my impression, our more active listeners maybe are a little bit on the side of uh, they like the Disney princess talk. Our less active, less likely to email in listeners, on the other hand, uh, seem seem much more much more. Um, anti right disney princess talk but after two weeks of it then it forced them to email back and like oh i better right it's yeah. just a bridge too far yeah. for them <laughs> they, they can't take it anymore right that makes sense so, okay all right very interesting um this is from uh jj in san diego dave habit burger really how can any burger that includes mayonnaise as a base condiment be considered good that is horrendous but you are a Bruin, and the Bruins are the mayonnaise of the Pac-12. Pasty, soft, and stink went out in the sun too long. Ryan, I thought you would go for Wiener Schnitzel, since the Trojans are the sauerkraut of the Pac-12, rotting from inside out. Wow, that leads to my off-season question: If each Pac-12 team was a oh god, if each Pac-12 team was a condiment, which condiment would they be? A couple of suggestions: Larry Scott. JJ, Larry Scott is not a Pac-12 team. This is not a suggestion that's actively going to be useful for us. Anyway, Larry Scott, anchovies. Nobody except a few stuffy elites like them. Everyone else despises them. Colorado, pickles. Leave them on the side and no one cares. Arizona State, jalapeno. Hot in the beginning but gradually fades away. Utah, kale. Tough and coarse but generally unfulfilling. Arizona, chili. Just a mess on everything. Wow. Uh, we're probably gonna need some just suggestions for this because I don't really feel like doing that. I don't know. Do you? No, do you, neither do I. <laughs> I've got no. I have no juice for that right now. I don't like condiments. Um, I don't know why I was thinking about. I think uh, I had I had lunch over here at the pier. I like had a fish sandwich and some fries. And are you a? Uh, what is your hot dog? What do you do? You, what do you put on your hot dog? Um, it, when I have my better judgment, I put nothing on it. Oh. Um. But um, if I if I'm putting just like a basic hot dog together, I usually go with uh, ketchup, chopped up onions, diced onions, and then some relish. Okay, I was never a big. I don't like pickles, so I guess I was never a big relish guy. And I was always just like ketchup on a hot dog as a kid. And I feel like people like shame you into putting mustard on, which I like. And now I, I do mustard and ketchup, but I sort of felt like my grown up, like you know, my childhood, I just like ketchup on there. I do like chili cheese dogs, so he says, uh, I, I guess I would be an Arizona person, like put chili on stuff. Um, but isn't it weird, like people, 
will berate you people for... People have such strong opinions about this stuff, and it's so dumb. If like, a hot dog's a sandwich or what you put on there, I'm like, hot dog, you know, I used to work in the... When I worked in the grocery store, we, you know, I worked in the produce department, our, our neighbors in the meat department, they said, hot dogs are made of lips and assholes. Like, that's, <laughs> that's what they it's, said. Like, exactly. It's garbage food. <laughs> like, people who get all up in arms about what you put on, like, a bratwurst. You put nothing on a bratwurst. And, like, yeah, sometimes I like it that way, and sometimes I like it with a bunch of crap on it. <laughs> it's, my, it's my crappy meat thing that is made out of, like seven different parts of its ear or whatever like i don't I, i'll eat that that's fine but don't tell me what i'm supposed to put on a sausage like if yeah. you want to talk to me about like some fine french dining no this is the way you're supposed to eat that sir fine okay whatever but yeah. like a sausage we're talking about like german right. street food this is garbage <laughs> just put it in your face however you want to eat it and call it a day yeah, like if you said, okay, don't put A1 on uh, like filet mignon or something, like, sure, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, um, like don't put ketchup on your steak. Oh, okay, <laughs> that seems fine. <laughs> but, but you're like, but, how could you put ketchup on a hot dog? Like, I don't know, it's a freaking hot dog. Well, and it's like, and a, it's a hot dog too. It's not even like it's a good like bratwurst or like a kielbasa. No, it's a hot dog. It is made out of butt. Like, it's just butt. <laughs> just eat it. Who cares? Like, eat it with whatever you want on it. Put mayonnaise. Drape that thing in mayonnaise. Have it dripping. Just sink it in a vat of mayonnaise and then just eat it like that. Yeah. Did you ever have the uh, the street vendor hot dog wrapped in bacon kind of thing? Yeah, it's great. It's great stuff. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, those are good. I, yeah. When I was in school, like, they would just be, you know, teams of them uh, outside uh, Coliseum for football games. And we'd come out of there kind of drunk. And it was always good to eat one of the two of those. Those were good. Yeah. Hell yeah. Nice. No, do that. Do do whatever makes you happy yeah, with, 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 with respect to a sausage. Yeah. And this is another Blue Chew ad. <laughs> well, I guess our next question is along the same line. Squeals like a pig is the, the subject. So we're on the subject of uh, eating delicious meats. He says, uh, this is from Rusty. Howdy, boys. Since I love Pac-12 football, I do, capitalize, enjoy your podcast, but confess to getting a bit irritated with the inane questions wherein you are asked to compare coaches or teams or dogs or hot dogs, uh, dead songs or animated flicks. But boys, don't get me wrong. I do enjoy a good laugh. I just like to see the quality of those stupid questions picked up a bit. For example, I'd love to hear your vocalizations a la deliverance of what it would sound like if Woody Dixon or Larry Squat, quote, squealed like a pig. Crystal Ball would also be a kick. So would Swan. Yam too. Want to give it a whirl? Oh my God, no. Uh, if not, get Leach on the show to do this. Coming from Texas and Wazoo, he doubtless, he doubtlessly, I guess, meant, uh, heard some squealing and and yallers here and there. Uh, would would know how to do this right and proper and all. You bet. Well, there's some weird wordage there. Uh, your pal on the range, Rusty. Okay, so he wants us to do so from Deliverance. He, I don't they, know if I can do a good squeal noise. Yeah, I don't think I could either, and I'd have to go back and watch it again. But it was one of the, like the one of the the hillbillies guys like saying, "Yeah, right before they, uh, right before they're gonna rape the dude, right?" Squeal like a pig. Wait, that did they rape a guy in Deliverance? In Deliverance, yeah, didn't they? They were. I, they had the weird banjo guy. Yeah, yeah, no, that's it's 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 the it's the rape scene. It's uh, gonna make him squeal like a pig. Uh, okay, okay. 
God, I got to, it's been a while since I'm, I, I'm thinking of uh, Pulp Fiction when they were talking about that, but they didn't do that. They, they didn't say that there. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to squeal like a pig, Rusty, Rusty yeah. Fence. Sorry, Rusty. Call, here's what you want to do uh, call in, leave a voicemail. The number, uh, if you, you know, we say it up at the top of the show, is 424 532 0678. Give us uh, what Rusty wants. Squealing like a pig. What it would sound like if Woody Dixon or Larry Squat did that. Maybe Mario Cristobal, uh, Lynn Swan, Mike Yam, I guess. <laughs> uh, give it a whirl. Was Rusty the one who had a vendetta against Mike Yam? He might have been. Yeah, he wasn't a big fan. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, he's got he's got a real he's got a real vendetta against Yam. He didn't like the way Yam asked questions or something. If I recall correctly, is that right? Yeah, it, and you weren't a big fan of the way Rusty asked this question. To be honest. There was a, he was. Maybe Rusty is your Mike Yam. Have you ever thought about that? It could have been. I I think he was trying to write in, uh, you know, in deliverance. In the pat, in the patois of, uh, of, of the Southern lands. So it it was a little, uh, awkward to read, but yeah. So if for Rusty's sake, if you guys are, have uh, some voice talent, which I do not, uh, David probably has more, but I don't think he wants to tackle us either. Uh, give that a whirl. Yeah, I can't squeal. I don't. I don't think I have that one in me. Like, yeah. what would you do? Like, I I can't do it. I'm gonna have to like, YouTube th- that scene again and and remember it because I'm not not remember it. That was uh Burt Reynolds, right? Sure. Yeah. I I actually have never seen the movie. I just know it from uh, cultural. Uh, oh. Uh, uh, you know that kind of cultural osmosis you get. Yes. All the stuff. All right. Um, you want to do Hitler Day? I'll do it. Dasa Samyojana. I'm gonna Google that one because he's stumped me. You want me to do it while you read or no? No, 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 no. This is great radio. <laughs> uh, okay, um, bonds in the rebirth process. So we're talking about something in Theravada Buddhism here. Oh, the ten fetters. Aha, aha, ha ha. It's translated as the ten fetters. And okay. he mentions Chris. There fetters. we go. Okay. I was deeply impressed by Chris Fetter's filibustering you boys into submission last week. It takes a truly awe-inspiring talent to bludgeon Ryan, of all people, out of specifics about spring football. I love, Unfortunately, I love my spring football. You love logistics of spring football. I actually snuck in a logistics question on that Utah interview. Could you even handle it? I was like, I don't, you were probably like, I what the here? hell? You know, like, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that leaves the rest of us the more quotidian task of figuring out what to watch for in Washington's practices next month. By my count, the Huskies are replacing the following starters. Quarterback, running back, tight end, right tackle, the only nose tackle, two more starting defensive linemen, strong safety, free safety, both cornerbacks, both inside linebackers. Using either Washington-specific or just general spring ball knowledge, please tell me your opinion on which of these positions fans should be keeping a close eye on in April and which ones you expect Coach Peterson to replace without conflict. Well, quarterback, obviously, because they're bringing Jake Browning back. I don't think that's a big issue. Um, frankly, I, I actually, in all seriousness, I don't think quarterback will be that big of an issue because I think whoever replaces Browning is going to be fine. Yeah. Um, Gaskin's tough. I mean, replacing Gaskin's going to be tough, but... Um, not top. It's not the top issue. Yeah. Like, I think uh, Ahmed, I think, is going to be good um, at worst. Um Maybe it's replacing the overall total production, like who's going to be the second string guy, who's going to be the third string guy. But um, I think top the top tier, maybe maybe Ahmed's 90% of what Gaskin was last year, which I think is still pretty good. Um, 
So the rest, so defensively, here's the thing, is they've lost a lot. It seems like probably three or four of the years that Peterson's been there, they've just lost like half the starting group on defense. And no matter what, they churn out like a top 15, top 10 defense. I just have a hard time seeing system continuity just taking a major step back this year. If I was looking at their the way they play, I would say inside linebacker, just from an instinct standpoint, that would be probably the spot where I would be looking the most. Because, um, I, I don't know, I, I think defensive line, they've been able to plug guys in there who, haven't, who aren't necessarily hugely talented. But I think... That, I don't know. I could be talking myself into that, too, because they've been able to do that inside linebacker as well. I mean, Ben Burkirvin was not a highly touted recruit by no. any stretch of the imagination. But production was very high. And I, you feel like you could replace like a Ben Burkirvin production, right? Because, you know, he wasn't like some five-star guy coming out. He's not, you know, running all over the place, you know, the fastest guy on the field. And, you know, you remember a couple of years ago, Washington had four players drafted on defense, the first like 44 picks. And uh, yeah, d- replace them without a bat and an eyelash. So I, yeah, I, I know Hitlerday. You're probably trying to figure out a way that your Ducks can uh, overcome Washington. I'm still going to be picking Washington, and I'm and this. The list doesn't concern me as much, Hitlerday. I don't know about you, Dave, but I I, I kind of feel like Chris Peterson's going to figure things out, and they'll be all right. Yeah, I think they'll be all right. I would say um, if if you want an actual answer, I would say. Probably in order, uh, inside linebackers would be maybe the top. Um, nose tackle would be second. Other defensive linemen, third. Running back, fourth. Um, Probably fourth. I mean, the secondary, the, you can put all the secondary if you want to group them together as a whole. Uh, I mean, they've been able to, re- the, the, the one thing they've been able to replace year after year is the secondary. Yeah. Like, I don't actually have any concerns there. Um, I'd put them all near the bottom. Like in totality, having to replace the entire starting secondary, yeah, that's a task. But any one position is hard to quantify. Um, and then, you know, probably quarterback after running back or after tight end, um, right tackle. I mean, I don't know. I think the issues are probably the front seven on defense. That's probably what you're probably paying the most attention to, followed by running back, followed by quarterback, and then the rest in some order. Yeah, that's fair. Um Move on to Scott. Yeah. Do you want to do this one? Sure. Questions. Ryan and Dave, thank you for a terrific podcast and going strong in the offseason. First off, it's nice to see USC truly earning that dollar sign in the beloved U dollar sign C moniker. The legit way to get those dum-dums into school would have been to put gobs of money towards Helton's buyout. <laughs> With this new admission scandal, I have to ask, Ryan, why does U dollar sign C hate doing the right thing? Um, yeah, I, I, that's a very good question, Scott. They they seem to just love screwing up time after time after time. Um, and this is a weird scandal that I think is going to get, you know, weirder. Uh, I think, you know, there a lot of the... Um, Defendants are in Boston right now. They were going to put in their pleas. I think a lot of not guilty pleas came in. The big one is because USC has an administrator that was involved, and she was on the take for over a million dollars and allowed them access to multiple sports. And the fact that USC let her basically run everything and no, and she was unchecked, and, and Lynn Swan comes back and says, oh, 
we were blindsided by this. Like, you know, we're not going to let one person run that whole department again and you know, and control everything. And I talked to other coaches. And they're like, yeah, every for like football team, like the walk-ons, they had to make sure they had to go through Donna Heinel, like the person that got arrested. Their walk-ons for the football team, they had to make sure they went through her. And sometimes they'd come back and be like, oh. You got these four guys in, but this guy didn't get in, and and you don't know why. And and they were like, one of the guys told me like, maybe we didn't get that guy in because she had a spot for somebody else that she was getting paid for. You know, you just don't know. Um, so the fact that someone in the the athletic department was involved, now you got to find out are there more people in the athletic department involved? So yeah, that's they've they've screwed up royally a lot, Scott, and uh, it's just kind of like it's just par for the course. It's what else are you gonna do? Uh, second, please, no more Disney references. All right, we're hearing your 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 thoughts up for everybody. Uh, for the love of God, make it stop. Treat it like Pac-12 basketball and soccer questions for a month. That's fair. I don't I don't think we're going to get any more of those. There's enough of an outrage that we're not going to get those. But there was two weeks strong of a lot of them, and I think we've back. What I'm hearing is more Disney. People more. want more Disney. Is that is that that's what I'm getting from today? <laughs> you were always so perceptive, Dave. Uh, <laughs> True, false. Uh, so he has five, four questions. So I think they've listened. This to is a perfect amount of true, false. Everyone yeah. out there, four is a great amount of true, false. Not Twenty-five, true. <laughs> not a great amount of true, false. So he says, uh, number one, Leach never wins an Apple Cup against Peterson. True. Really? Man, they have not been competitive in these games. They have not, and that's their better teams have lost, and it hasn't even been good. I'm gonna go. False, though. I think Leach will do it one year when they're not as good of a team and Washington's better and they'll, like, sneak in and win one. I think I'm going to All gonna right, so you're going broken clock theory. Fine. Broken clock, yes. Uh, two, Harbaugh, Harbaugh is out at Michigan at the end of the year. Hmm. Hmm. Let me look at Michigan's football schedule for this season. I haven't really been keeping up with the Harbaugh stuff. I know there's been talk and he run, wears out his welcome after a few years, but... I'm going to say false. false. I, I think he sticks around. They're also playing Middle Tennessee and Army in non-conference. Yeah, so, and Urban yeah. Meyer's gone. So uh, I think I think that's a you know invitation for him to stay. Uh, yeah. Three, Peterson is poached by a bigger program at the end of the 2020 season. Ah, false. False. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. And then four, Slick Rick Neuheisel has an adequate amount of gloves. Uh, oh, had an adequate amount of gloves at UCLA. <laughs> false, 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 false. <laughs> oh gosh, false. Yeah, false. you can never, you never, you you just need, you needed more gloves. That's you, really all we learned there is that you needed more gloves. Uh, thanks again, and go Cougs. Wait, is Rick doing the AF or is he going to do? Is he in there? I think he's doing the AF. Yeah. I see. The first week, I sort of. I don't say I pay attention, but I like watched a little bit, but I haven't like not nothing since then. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah. I don't know. All right. You ready for Evan? Uh, this one is ferocious. That is the subject line. <laughs> hey, guys. Love the podcast. I'm going to get straight to my point, And it's this. The original They Were Herocious audio clip you used to play was so much better than the simple one word, quote, herocious you use now. The original had that raw human emotion. The shorter clip is devoid of that passion. Also, the beginning of the word herocious gets slightly cut off in the new one and therefore sounds rushed. Play the one after another and you'll see. Do you still have the original? They were herocious. That was the original. And then? Herocious. Hmm. 
He does have a point. Yeah. Do you know what? It takes time to edit and then upload to my thing and stuff. So it's not, you know, this isn't like, this doesn't come for free. So like for me to make a change, like I have to significantly do something. So yeah. I don't know. But what, what do you think, Dave? I got them I, both still. I just didn't delete the he old He says one. the original clearly outperforms the newer version. And I tend to agree. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't fit as aptly, you know? True. Like, yes. because you, you like to, you know, throw it in there when somebody just uses the word. Um, and we can't do that when somebody just uses the word. But if we're using it as like a descriptive drop, like when we're talking about a really bad game, then they were ferocious makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Hmm. So maybe we just need to be more disciplined in our usage of the drop. True. Or we give you the board that you can do drops on and, and you can handle it. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that would mess with our flow. It would mess with our chi. I'll be so focused on the drops, I won't even talk. It'll be rough. Okay. Everything is a cool idea. It's more work for me. That's all I was going to tell you. Basically, yeah. I'm glad you're coming around on that. All right. Nice. I can't be the only one who thinks this, right? So please, let's go back to the classic and get back to talking about the real issues. Disney princesses and Jake Browning's eligibility. All right. Evan, Evan has told us. Keep up the good work, he says. He wants more Disney princess talk. I think that's the definitive take. Well, we've talked about Disney princesses and Jake Browning's eligibility. So we hit his two. We've hit know. the two topics. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, Evan. Evan from Claremont. Thank you for that. And we got one last one from Anthony. Hi, Ryan and Dave. What are your thoughts on the tournament so far? I think he's talking about what? What bas- tournament? Basketball, I think. Um. Well, it's very like, chalky, right? Uh, it's all like basically Oregon is the only upset in the Sweet 16, and they're just they just stunk. <laughs> excuse me, at the beginning, but they've won their last like ten games. So and they won the Pac-12, so they're really not like a 12 seed. They're if they just took care of business earlier and you know they got injuries and stuff, they would probably have been a four or five seed. So it's it's really very. I think it's the most chalk ever, right, Dave? Can I tell you a secret, Ryan? You don't Can I tell you a secret? Okay. Can I tell you? Yeah. I haven't watched a single NCAA tournament game. No way. I have not watched a single moment of a single game. It's been amazing. Really? And this was this was at one time my favorite weekend of the entire sports calendar year, and I have not watched a single basketball game. Man. It's um, been amazing. So Dave's not I the cover, right person. I cover, I cover college athletics for a living. <laughs> so for me, I mean, I'll still watch the tournament, uh, especially I think the first two days are my favorite. And then this this was like the worst, like, and I, I was gone all day Saturday. So I, I watched Sunday. I didn't really get to watch Saturday. But there was just, you know, a bunch of blowouts. Like I said, all chalk. I think for only the second time ever, all the one, twos, and threes survived. Um, there were some close ones that, you know, guys could have, you know, Tennessee could have lost a couple of times. Uh, Duke could have easily lost. Um, there's some other schools too, but one, all the one, two, threes made it through, uh, only a second time. And this is the lowest as far as like add up all the seeds. I think it's like 48 or 49, 12 is the only, you know, outlier and that's Oregon. And like I said, they, they could have been a much higher seed if they just didn't stink in the beginning. Um, but it, it's been kind of, for me. Anthony, there's been kind of boring. Um, there's been some good stuff a couple of times, but the, the 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 this last weekend, the the round of 32 or whatever was was pretty um, 
ferocious. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, then he says random questions. I can't believe you haven't watched any, Dave. That's not a minute. It's been so amazing. We were at a bar. Like, my wife, you know, Tennessee's in there. So we went to a bar. Uh, me and my wife, we were supposed to, a bunch of people were supposed to go. We didn't end up going. But Bruce, like, Bruce Feldman came out. And we watched some of the games. And that was kind of fun. Just So I did a little bit, like a few hours at a bar watching basically two games. So that wasn't too bad. But I didn't get to do, like, the full on. I used to go, like, go with friends on a Thursday or Friday and take the day off and just like watch. I used to take full days off work. Yeah. But like also the East Coast kind of sucks because the games don't start until like 12-15. Oh, yeah. And it's just like I, I don't want to stay. I, like I have enough like during football season staying up till like 2 or 3 in the morning. And if I if I started the day, I'd feel like I need to finish it. I'm not going to stay up to watch Oregon versus UCI until after midnight. Come on. Yeah. The, the, I'm not doing that. It is pretty. West Coast is pretty perfect for the tournament because you're talking 9 a.m. to like, was it 9 p.m. or 9:30 p.m. Like it's it's yeah, it's pretty awesome. Like, well, and it was key day drinking in college oh, too. Like the so NCAA good. tournament, you just get up at like nine, <laughs> start drinking at ten. It's great. Bar, some bars have to open earlier just to let. We you don't. In. We're not in favor of that. We're not endorsing that here. No. Podcaster champions. No. Uh, Don't drink, kids. Yeah, uh, Anthony has a couple, couple of random questions. Uh, what would be harder for you to tell someone you love them, or that you do not love them back? Definitely, you do not love them back. Yeah, for me, like I think it's a lot easier to say you love somebody, or if they say they love you, and you have to tell them you don't love them back. Um, he capitalized well, every first word. Is there significance to that? No idea. Oh. Um, but also, if you're operate on the assumption that you're like having to tell a lie either way, it's easier to lie in the positive than it is to lie in the negative. Um, the The truth of either is is I, I I think the truth of telling somebody you love them is fine and great. What's wrong with that? Yeah, that's never hard. Um, the truth of telling somebody you don't love them back, no, that's that could be bad no. unless it's like gotten very toxic. I think some people, though, they might have a hard time expressing love. So maybe that's where Anthony's coming from on this, where he'd say, like, you know, is it maybe. hard for you to say that? But I mean, is it hard for you to say that, Ryan? No, dude, I, I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, never, but it would be harder me for me to, to turn somebody down, basically. So You've, ne- you've never told me that. I know. <laughs> David, I need to tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking these were so he put random questions for these. I'm thinking he copied and pasted them from somewhere because of the his other sentence does not have every first uh, the le- the first letter of each word capitalized. These do, so I'm wondering if it's from some book or something. Uh, I don't know. And the the other one, the last one, if you could run one business, which would it be, and how would you change it? Thank you, Anthony. Um, I would run. Uh, Amazon, and I would break it up into many, 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 many different parts um, and have those run by other people and not um, have it all be one company. So you're using some political slant for this, like personally. So that that that's what would be the most important thing for you is to... Pr- it would be either that or um, transition one of the major multinational um, oil companies into uh, green energy. Ah. Uh. So also a political angle, but probably one that's a little bit more relevant to our uh, our times. So would that be like me saying I would want to run PETA and make sure they serve veal sandwiches at all their... Um, 
No, because that's just cruel. I'm talking about doing something that would actually benefit the world. Okay. That's just that's just like triggering the libs for no reason there. Nice. Um, I'm trying to think of what kind of company. Uh, you know, when you when you see like me knowing USC as well as I do, and and like I'm like, could I be the president of USC? Like, I don't have a doctorate or anything. I have a master's. I don't think that really matters. Uh, like, could I do a worse job than some of the people have done? Like, I could not probably, a chance, not a chance. No, you'd be fine. You'd be great. I could probably run that, you know, or the athletic department the, or something. Like, I think I could do it. The hidden secret of life is that nobody is good at their jobs, and anybody with like, I don't know, like the on-the-job training it takes to be good at like being like a file clerk is about the same as it takes to be good as like a CEO. It, it'd take you two months, you'll be fine. So yeah, no, it's all it's all the d- same dumb stuff, and people are the same dumb people, no matter how much education they have. And to do any job, it's mostly people skills, unless you're doing some major like quantitative stuff. So yeah, if it's just like people work, which is basically what being a CEO is, yeah, you'd do fine in like two months. You'll be yeah. great. I think I've always, be, you know, with the engineering background, I like the Silicon Valley type of companies. Like, you know, that'd be kind of cool to run something like that. But I don't, I don't think I'd be qualified to do that. But that'd be kind of neat to to run one of those. Like, if you're running Facebook or like Dave said, Amazon or Google or something or Apple, like that'd be kind of neat, you know, to do. Yeah, run one of those things that has like a bunch of perceived value, but like a ton of like not actual value or like one that like is developing ai for cars that doesn't actually work or something like that that'd be cool yeah it'd be a ton of fun or yeah. like like richard branson's business those seem fun like you i would want to be like a fun owner you know like yeah uh, are any of those profitable like mark cuban you know like you know owning a basketball team or something like stuff like that like yeah that's- yeah yeah and like allowing like rampant like um sexual like misconduct <laughs> in your organization that sounds great Dude, are you always just looking at this? I think every single one of these people is scum. Every <laughs> single one of them. Uh, you know, so you're saying we need more monopolies, like um, older, middle-aged yeah, no, white sh- men yeah, running Let's get everything. monopolies. Let's get monopsonies. Let's get just like single, single provider of labor, single provider of goods. Let's just do the whole thing. It'll be yeah. great though because it's private instead of public, so it's fine. How about this? How about what if we ran like the Communist Party uh, in like uh, Soviet Russia? Like, would that be hey, pretty cool? Y- you know what's better than a company? A party. A par- <laughs> Who doesn't love a party? True. You know, but do you think like okay, there's idealism, like there's an idealism to communism, right? Like where it's like everybody's the sick collective and all that kind of stuff. But there's always like a scumbag running it that like murders people and does other things like. If you had some oh, cool- communism super dumb. I mean, communism doesn't work. Um, but the thing is, the response to that can't be unfettered other opposite version of that is definitely going to work because this also doesn't work. I mean, when you allow Amazon to grow this big and encompass all these different industries and basically be a monopsony um, for booksellers, among many other things, I mean, it just doesn't work either. Um, uh, regulate it. You know, go back to some trust busting of some sort. I don't think anybody is necessarily advocating for a command economy, um, but something akin to turn of the 20th century trust busting. You know, those Roosevelt guys seem to be doing a nice job. Maybe (laughs) maybe go back to something like that instead of allowing these people to just have whatever full control over our economy. I don't know. Just an idea. Just just asking questions. Hey, 
I'm a big advocate of, oh, crap, we're out of toothpaste. I go on Amazon and I have it tomorrow. Well, no, and that's I the like thing. That. It's like, of course, I like it um, <laughs> that it delivers like anything I want within two days. But, um, you know, at the expense of all of the other things that it takes away, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm a, uh, yeah. All right. Well, we got somehow we got a Dave political rant in there. That's good. You know, hey, we've got we've got um, we've got one more. You ready? Oh, we do. Is this is actually cap- a great this, no, no it's capitalism. a fantastic capper it's a fantastic okay. capper for this episode. Okay. This is from Oliver. It's in response to his question from several weeks ago. I don't have a question. I just want to say that I'm sorry for asking a rhetorical question about Disney princesses that spawned hours of original content. Also, fire Larry Scott. <laughs> Thank you, Oliver. Yes. Um it's it's funny how things can start. It's sort of like that little marble at the top of the mountain and it picks up, you know debris on the way down it becomes this avalanche and it, it, the disney princess became an avalanche that just took over the podcast for i don't know maybe four hours of, <laughs> of our time yeah yeah but, no it's uh, a just a, a small thing starting an avalanche like i don't know like an obscure german economist coming up with you know a critique of uh you know the the, the state of the economic world and that rapidly turned into revolution all over the world you yeah. know it's just it is what it is you're on your uh libertarian like <laughs> soapbox today huh? that, am i right just 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 living just living living the dream out here i, th- I should by now i should be able to tell like after like what kind of rant you go on i'm like i bet you this happened to david i i would say like you were like stuck in traffic from a car accident or something i i think i would be right <laughs> yeah i was um it, it, i was in an hour I usually my commute home is usually about half an hour, and I was in an hour and ten minutes of traffic today. Oh. It, was, it really, really added a little something to nice. my uh, to my day. Now you told me that, but I could have maybe guessed it from some of the things. I think you, you might have been able to. Yeah, I think you might have been able to. <laughs> little ornery, little ornery today. That's all right. All right, uh, we'll wrap it up. Hopefully, just a little behind the scenes since we told you everything else about our lives. Uh, we did a. We're doing not for the first part of the podcast, but for the second part, where it's just David and I. We did a dual recording, so hopefully, the sound is uh, a little better, and it's good because even David, when I was listening to you, there would be some cutouts when we were talking on Skype. So, but you recorded your own audio, so once we put it together, once I put it together, um, it should hopefully it'll work well. So I'm <laughs> I'm curious. So let us know if you feel like the uh, sound quality, at least for the second half of the podcast or the second two thirds or whatever. Uh, let us know how you, you think of that. But I think it'll be good, Dave. Yeah. It felt good. I'm looking at my levels and they look they look loud. Nice. They look you know, they look great. Nice. So yeah. All right. Well let's uh wrap it up. That is David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. We are the podcast of champions. We're getting through I think we have a few schools left for our uh spring reports. So uh if you have any more questions, I think we might do Washington State next week. If you have a question or two, we'll try to remember to put those in, but uh, thanks so much for listening and we will talk to you next time.